Women Bridging the Gap is a freewheeling conversation co-hosted by Lenya Wilson and myself, Alexandra Detalia. Listen to our conversations while we discuss race and womanhood at the hearth level. Your podcast via Shane, Lenya's husband. So Shane and oh, I actually right. work together. Yes. And Shane, you know, when, when you all first started, he was like, hey, there's this podcast, everybody listen. And I just got so immersed and I continue to hit him up every single week. And I'm like, just listen to the podcast or I'll text him and we'll chat about it. And <laughs> But Shane doesn't, he... so he's been right. So he's your person, but he doesn't listen yes. anymore, does he? No, he hasn't. He doesn't? You know, my partner I think he, doesn't I don't listen. Know. If he, yeah, he does. Because he says he does, but he doesn't. I think he does because I'll talk about some of the stuff that you guys talk about when you chat. And he makes it seem like he knows exactly what you guys are talking about. So he I don't know. Maybe from another room, but. <laughs> <laughs> I swear, like Eric, I, at first he listened and then he just stopped listening. And then yeah. he's, it's just weird to hear you in conversation. And he's like, mm. I hear you talk all the time. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> Even my son doesn't listen. Wow. Well, but I think a lot of it is probably due because you know sometimes you mention them, right? You mention your son yeah. and you mention your husband's and everything. So for them, it's well, I live with you and we're together, and it's kind of that weird dynamic. Yeah. But hey, I'm a fan. So don't stop. Thank you. No, you know sometimes I think it makes me a lot freer. Like I think our podcasts got a little better when we stopped yes. worrying about who is listening because I don't think my mm. dad listens all the time or at least he doesn't tell me whether he does or not but I do feel mm. like my internal editor which looks a lot like my dad is not yeah. like standing on my shoulder saying you're a moron you know <laughs> so yeah no it's yeah. real it's real and you know so I am trying on that same thing where you stop having that little person on your shoulder saying I'm done, you know, like critiquing you and judging you before you even do anything. So I have this blog that I've been trying to launch since October and it's done and it's like in, in a staging environment. And it's my way of saying, let me just tell my truth. You know, let me just say whatever I want to say without anybody judging me. And I haven't pushed it live because I'm like, I'm so scared of, of oh, you so. have to just, oh, we're, this is our goal today. She's going <laughs> to push live at the end. What's yeah. it about? Um, so it's called Everybody Hates LA and it's a, just a satire, you know, but everything that's happening about you were still talking to the right group. I am going to, I'm going to listen to, I'm going to read your blog every day. Every single oh, I love it. No, you know, but it's funny because I love LA. So, and I, I know you two probably don't know anything about me, but I'm from Germany, born and raised small town in Germany, a little village. You know, we had the one McDonald's and like 11 villages around us. And I always was obsessed with LA. I loved it. I loved watching award shows. I loved watching TV. And so I always told people I would make it to LA. And then I finally did. But you know, what you have as, you know, the image of America, you know, what you see in Germany versus when you're actually here, it's a lot different, right? I mean, yeah. from the people, I mean, just the judgments, the racism, everything that's happening. I mean, it's just crazy. And coming to LA, I mean, I love it. It's my favorite place in the entire world, but it's sort of like a satire, like a, a funny way of just talking about self-expression, you know, you know, even like dating in LA and just how like the Peter Pan syndrome comes in there and all that stuff. So yeah, no, it's kind of, it's kind of funny. Wow. Or are you going to, is yours going to be talking about like special, like unique places about LA? Or are you going to be talking about what people, like, I do think people love to hate LA and I do think I might 
Yes. Be a little bit more in that camp. You are one the of longer them. Longer I'm here, <laughs> yeah. Well, I do, yeah. but but I have to say, part of the reason why I'm happier in the pandemic is I don't drive, and you know, I'm just happier mm-hmm. not being in a car. Yeah. I get deliriously excited being on a train. I get absolutely yep. miserable the idea of getting in a car. So, listen, if LA had public transportation like really good public transportation, like the kind that could actually take you somewhere without, you know, the fuss, because I mean, I I don't drive at all. So I have to take public Mm. transport and it sucks here so bad. If it had a really good public transportation system, LA would be just about near perfect because it has, it has all of the right little things. You know, you've got all these great neighborhoods, you've got fantastic museums. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, you would not be able to have the Getty in New York. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, it's just right, no I want to slow down. I mean, like New York net, has amazing but the museums. Get- New York has like the, some of the best museums. <laughs> no, no, no. But I'm not, no, I'm, okay. yes, New York has a, the best okay. museums ever, but they, but they, the picture campus. the Getty. Yeah. We're all in campus and how, I mean, there's not a space that you can stand in any part of that campus where, where you don't see something that's beautiful. Yeah. No, absolutely. I totally agree. And I, you don't get taco trucks and you don't get... Beignet box. But you also don't get brownstones. Yes. And or Victorian row houses, if you're thinking no. of San Francisco. Yeah. And you and- don't get you know, so I don't know what little Fran, like where you were, if you were near Berlin or, but for me, like what I love about New York and San Francisco and even DC or Chicago, like any of those cities is that you could wake up on a Saturday and just say, Mm -hmm. I just feel like stepping out my door and seeing what will happen. And you can do it via walk. Yes. And you can go from neighborhood to neighborhood and it's the serendipity. And since cities Mm -hmm. are always changing, you discover like in San Francisco, which is small, we would find, we would say, oh my God, let's go find a new neighborhood. And Mm -hmm. we would just go find some like random, like little tiny micro neighborhood that was just starting to emerge. And then you could window shop or find a place for lunch and you wouldn't have to look on your phone to find the restaurant. You would just go and happen upon things. And in LA, I mean, there's so much I love, but it's a planning city. Unless you're a driver and you want to say, I'm sure if you move down here when you're 20 and you're just, and you can just drive around all day and just, you know, and back in the seventies before the crowds, I am sure there was a little Mm -hmm. bit of that magic of getting a convertible. You can drive from the beach to the mountains in an hour and 20 minutes, you know, and have that you did in 2020. Well, not in 2020, not in the pandemic, but in 2019 and in 2022, it, you know, the idea is that you you can spend 45 minutes going five miles. And I, for me, it it makes my life very small and unhappy. Like it makes me very unhappy, but I want to hear all the things enough about, I just went on for so long. I'm going to cut half of that out. Why do you love? <laughs> no, no she's this not. is like where you're gonna be like, oh my god, they're so edited. Where so Fran, what do you no. love? This is so weird. where when did you move here? I moved here three years ago. And I actually I moved to downtown. So when you talk about traffic, I used to drive from downtown to 
gosh, Playa Vista. And it would take me, you know, an hour and a half. And I never got into accidents until I moved here. So it resonates (laughs) with me when you say that. No, but but I've lived in downtown. I've lived in Culver City. I live in Hermosa Beach now. So going to the South Bay was something that I, I never thought was so beautiful. But I can go outside and I'm a block away from the beach. I can walk around, you know, so it's a lot easier because I don't drive as much anymore. And of course, with the pandemic, I'm working from home. So I get to walk around, take my bike, rollerblade and just explore yeah. the city a little bit, you know, so I, I feel very fortunate that I've made the move. Uh, People love it down there. People really yeah. love it down there. The South Bay bubble, nobody ever leaves. And that's why I never wanted to go there because I loved downtown. I love the arts. I love you walk outside and it's, you know, the clubs and the restaurants and the you know, the taco trucks and the people, and there's always something, you know, but there's something just really peaceful about Hermosa Beach. That's just really, it's like the oasis almost of LA. Wow. Well, isn't it kind of the quintessential? I mean, was it a little bit when you were in Germany thinking that's what LA was because everybody kind of shows the beach. I mean, the gl- the glorious yeah. part of LA, everybody yeah. makes it seem like it's Santa Monica. <laughs> I think mostly I was thinking like Hollywood, honestly. Okay. I, I, I always kind of, you know, you think about the big billboards and the big buildings and the little boutique stores and, and just everything that's in LA, you know, even like Abercrombie or Hollister, all of my friends still to this day are like, you're wearing that, I want it, you know, get it to me. But of course you're here and you're like, what's happening? But no, I don't know what I was expecting, but certainly what I got, out of it was nothing like what I was thinking about even. I don't know. But it's beautiful because you have so many different people and you go, you know, you drive half an hour and you feel like you're in a completely different world, right? And from all the ethnicities and restaurants and people that you meet, it's just so interesting and the influence and and the history I don't think people know enough about. You know, I think LA is a city that a lot of people come to sort of for selfish reasons, right? Because they're like, I want to be the next star. I want to be the next big person. I'm going to use it to, to elevate myself, but they don't realize all the different people that live here and have grown up here that are trying to make the city what it is, you know? And so I think there's a huge discrepancy there that people should talk about more, you know, because you have so many people, so many families, you know, even in Inglewood and different people that I've met that just have lived here for so long. And they're like, I feel invisible and all these other people are getting attention, but what about me? You know, and it's so interesting and, and beautiful and tragic at the same time. Absolutely. No, there's a whole hidden city in Los Angeles that the world doesn't see. You know, even just I remember, I don't know what it was. I was it was when so Eric and I, you know, got married and then got divorced and now we're back together. But when I was driving for the marriage license, yeah, I wasn't meant for marriage. So we did it for four (laughs) years. It was I'm not meant for marriage. So, but when I was going to get the license. What was interesting, what was interesting is I don't know why it was like some down South LA address. And I just drove Vermont, like I think all the way down, but I was in an area that I had never been, would never have reason to go. And it was fascinating. And it felt like being a tourist in your own city where you could really sort of feel like, wow, like this is fantastic. And I was really just so grateful. I sort of I didn't want to go to the Beverly Hills courthouse because I just knew parking was going to be a bad and it was going to be traffic. And I was like, I'll just yeah. go to this other random place. And it was an adventure and that was exciting. So yeah, no, I totally yeah. see that. So do. So I work in advertising and account management, and then I have my own PR firm. So I do publicity for up and coming artists, production studios, some female entrepreneurs and their little businesses, kind of a little bit of everything. <laughs> well, that's absolutely wow. fantastic. So is that how you got into BET, Black Entertainment yes. Television? Yeah. Well, it's funny because when I first moved out here, my friend saw a post on a Facebook group and was like, apply now. 
and I sent my resume into a random person. They're like, Hey, can you come to their carpet tomorrow? Um, and I was like, yeah. And I took the day off and I just went in there and, and BET. And um, so, you know, at their awards, I started there two years ago and it's just such an amazing group and such an amazing experience. But yeah, I've worked there for a few years now when they have actual award shows, you know, I get to help out with as a press escort. So, you know, rocking the talent down, helping with the press, helping set up, sometimes even being in-house production. It's just overwhelmingly amazing. It's just, yeah, it's, it's just incredible. So you're another polymath. So you do a hundred different things. Um, yeah, I feel like you have to, you know, I mean, it's as many things as there are wrong with America. It's also, there's an ability for you to do anything that you want to put your mind to. And there's so many different things that you can do here. So many different opportunities. It's just deciding which ones. And so, yeah, everything from award shows to press to production, I try to kind of touch it all. <laughs> well, can well, I ask? I guess you and I will be, we'll be talking offline because yes. I, I have some things. <laughs> yes. You guys have connections. Yes, I, I, I want to ask though. So what is your concept as a German moving to the United States and moving to one of the, one of the metropolitan areas in the United States of our work-life balance? Because what I, what you just said, which I, I understand, but you're like, yeah, don't we all? And I was like, well, we all don't. I mean, I do, but I struggle. Even though I enjoy everything I do, I also realize like what part of that is my addiction to work? Is it true addiction mm. that I can't just stop? And I sometimes forget how to do nothing. And, yeah. and there's something, you know, you know, like the sweet life, you know, in Italy, you know, everything moves a little slower, but mm -hmm. you know, or just the idea that Europeans are, are, are Western Europeans tend to be emphatic about four to six weeks off a year. Yeah. And in the United States, there's a group of people, maybe urban elites who do that. And the general person gets two weeks a year and they take it to see family or they take it for holidays. And then they yeah. do a four-day cruise somewhere or they go to the islands or they go to Mexico or they do the one you know week trip to Europe but they don't get rest or restoration so how is it looking in or have you become or did this just jive with you more when you were born you're like I just want I want that I, you know I don't know I mean I should say that so I grew up in Germany, but my family is from England. So I was sort of a third culture kid in Germany growing up under like English customs, which their work life is a little bit different as well. But certainly in Germany, you're right. It's very relaxed, right? It, your home life is a lot more important than your work life. You go to work to make money, to, to have a home, but to live your life and go on vacation, right? You know, our stores, when I grew up there, there was a lunch hour. Like you couldn't go to the store from 1130 until 1, 1.30 PM because it was just closed and that was normal. And then you're off between 4 and 5 p.m. And then you go home to your family. It wasn't uncommon to leave and have coffee with somebody for two hours and just ponder about the world, you know, talk about regular things that aren't work-related because work is just not the norm. And it certainly doesn't define you. So I'm sure that's probably what you've seen in Italy as well. I mean, I've never been there, but I tend to be a workaholic in the sense that I find a lot of pleasure and also my identity in work. And I've been trying to sort of work on that because it's not healthy, but at the same time- Well, wait time, a minute, let's actually, let's take that, let's parse that out because we all say it's not healthy and it's really trendy right now to not say it's healthy. So mm. let's just examine that. I understand that working, like not sleeping well is not healthy. I yeah. understand that not eating well is not healthy, but why is, if it, if 
I'm not saying this is true, but if one's hobbies, what one gets paid for, what one is passionate about, all happens to be in the same arena. Why do we assume that's bad? I just want to at least, because I do agree with you, but I guess I want to slow down that assumption because I've been questioning myself too, but I don't want to give up anything. Yeah, true. No, I think the hustle is sexy, right? Having passion is sexy and it's considered amazing and good for you. What's not healthy about it is, you know, not taking that time. I just sat down and I wasn't able to read a book without checking my phone every two minutes or my email. You know, I embarrassingly enough, like, so I live in a studio apartment. I might work on my desk, which, you know, my, my desk is right here. My bed is right in front of me and I will go to the bathroom and I will check my email in the bathroom. You know, like that's not healthy, <laughs> you know? So yeah. no, I know. I think having, you know, if, if, if you do it in a way that you integrate your work and your home life, you know, in a way like where, yes, I have a hustle and yes, I'm going to work hard for it and I'm focused, but at the same time, I can still have a different part of me that I can go on a walk or I can do whatever I need to do to take care of myself. That's not related to work. So I might watch a movie because I love movies, but I don't have to watch a movie to learn something, to do something about work. You know, I think it's really important to sort of separate those two. And I don't know how it is for you, but that's kind of how I try to do it and just find different ways that I can still have a social life and I can still have different ways. My entire identity isn't dependent on my function or my productivity, right? Because that's when it becomes not healthy. Yeah, I, I agree. I don't know, because, you know, I've always been, I'm, I've always been one of these people that my, my personal life and the things that I like to do are more important than work. Mm. And, but, and people feel a certain type of way about that. So I have let it be known amongst the company um, that I work with now that I do not do anything for them before 12 o'clock because before 12 o'clock I'm working out. I will not answer the phone. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? There is, I just, and once I started realizing that I can, I'm going to prioritize all of these things, then, you know, that I feel better, but like a lot yeah. of people feel a certain type of way about it. I mean, I have some pushback from one of the. From, but I actually, from- I would call working out, especially the way you do it, but even the way I do it, working to some degree. Yes, you know, because I work out for several hours. Yes, and there's a part of me that would love it if I could get paid to do this. Yeah. Well, and also, right, and so there's this concept of paid work life, work life, like essence of life. And then leisure relaxation. I because working out, because we're all not farmers or gatherers or hunters, and we need to move our body in false ways because we don't move them in everyday ways, one would argue that isn't restoration time necessarily. Although some mm-hmm. people might feel restored doing it, but since everybody should be doing some form of exercise, even though you work out for longer than the average person. I would argue that isn't solely personal. And the other thing is since, I mean, I know you're not necessarily competing now, but when you were a competitive lifter, I was like, just because you don't get paid for it doesn't mean it's not your work. Because that same concept of, we talked about this with the episode with Kende about Mm -hmm. that concept of what success really means, you know, and we have too narrow a version because if we, you know, thinking of the Hollywood level, there are a lot of really successful actors out there who you've never heard of. And yeah. there are a lot of really successful producers 
who you've never heard of. So when somebody says, well, what have you done that I've seen? I'm like, who the hell cares? You know, I mean, I'm not an actor, but if I were an actor saying that, I'd be like, who the hell cares? Like I pull down a paycheck. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I sustain my life. Right. I might be an unsuccessful celebrity, but I am a successful actor. And that's the the difference, right? And so Lenny, you're amazing because you've always drawn good boundaries, but I still think of that as more like when I'm doing my list, when I do like working out, it's not in the pleasure list necessarily, Mm -hmm. even though I get pleasure from it because, you know, reading a book is pleasurable. Although I can make that into work too, because maybe (laughs) I'm going to teach it or maybe it's going to spur me to write something or, you know, and then for me, I get paid a hundred dollars or something when I publish a story in a literary journal, but that still is, it's more important to my identity than the job. Do you know what I, and yeah. So I, yeah, like it's hard to know because what's work. It's also like, how do we define work? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I define that working out time is my time. That's yeah. the time. And, if I, and it's the time where I can sing to myself, play whatever music I want, do what I want. You know what I mean? Like the dogs aren't my priority. It's just me. Mm-hmm. So that I guess that's where I draw the line there because I don't have a lot of like that, that me time. Yeah. Yeah. And I would agree with you too. I mean, working out for me is like my self-care. It's my time to process and it's my time where I'm just taking care of myself and looking at my strength, right? I've never competed, so I definitely respect you. And I do remember Shane showing us all of your photos. He was very proud. You did amazing, <laughs> uh, which is incredible. I would love to do that, right? But just that like persistence and just like how you did it and the strength that you showed is just incredible. And, and in that sense, I would say, yes, that's work because that's just beyond anything like that I could ever do. <laughs> but I want to go back to your boundary setting. I mean, I mean, telling your work and saying, I have boundaries and I'm not going to be reached until a certain time that's so important. And that's so amazing that you did that, right. And that you're like keeping to it, but are they really not respecting that? I mean, how are they treating you different at work or anything? No, because I make my sales, but it's unpopular. Yeah. You know I mean? like it's unpopular. I make my sales. Cause I'm now it's like six o'clock and I'm still, I still have my store open yeah. and I'm still available to my customers and I'll be available to my customers till nine. So I have that, but there are people who are on like you know, they're on there from like seven o'clock in the morning. I'm just like, yeah. this is not me. Yeah. You know? But no, actually, there, and there is an element of exclusivity. I, I mean, I am not, a, I'm not necessarily, I'm going to say, I think I'm a good boundary center, but Lenya's going to laugh yes. when I say that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not either. <laughs> say no. Well, but that's because a lot of stuff excites me, but I actually do say, I do set limits on my time because similarly, Mm. I don't say no to many projects because I just get so excited. My friend Connor, who lives in Cuba, she just sent me this freelance writing opportunity and I'm not freelance writing anymore. I mean, I haven't done that in many years and I'm just working on like creative writing and then the podcast and then the law school. Mm-hmm. and the coaching. So all those things, Just, you know, but, but I read the pit, like the, what they're looking for. And I'm like, Oh my God, I should do that. And I had to like, come down a minute and be like, Alexandra, there is no time in your day. You're I'm like, can you fit this on your plate? <laughs> no, yeah. there's no plate. So I'm getting better at evaluating that. Like I have, that's where I don't set good boundaries because I get really excited 
And I just mm-hmm. recently had a session with Danny Beinstein, the astrologer, and she's, that's the Sagittarius wow. in you because she's, it's more, it's freedom. It's more, it's freedom. Yeah. But like Lenya, I, I teach mostly evening mm. at the law school and I request it. And mostly because so many people are parents, they're like, it's, they are grateful. They're like, oh, you're taking the night class. I'm so happy to have the day yeah. class. And then I push back when they give me a 9 a.m. class and say, I don't want a 9 a.m. class. And part of that is that I am a night owl. But the other part of that is, is that I do tend to, my schedule works best when I write in the morning and then Mm -hmm. I work out after writing. So anywhere between 11 a.m. and one, depending on the day. And then, you know, I'll be at school, like at school, like from two to 10 p.m you know, and and then I work a lot of weekends. So it all comes out in the wash. Now, do I sometimes break that? I have students with a paper due on Wednesday and in COVID and I'm teaching evening students. So they all work full time. So am I meeting students tomorrow morning, like at nine 30, and then I'm teaching a workshop at 10 and then teaching another workshop at noon. Yes, I am. But that's because I'm teaching at a law school where most people work. So Sunday's the day they're free. Yeah. So I was like, well, you know, like that's fair. I will find a day. Like I have some days marked out where it says no school and I Mm -hmm. will not do any school on that day. But, you know, I do think I'm actually really good at setting boundaries where I'll tell students like they say, oh, can we meet at nine? I'm like, no, like 9am doesn't work for me. You know, it has to be in the afternoon. And then sometimes I'm like, okay, if it has to be a morning, it can be Sunday morning. And this is how you set the boundaries, Fran. I usually, when I stand up in class, I tell everybody what I'm doing, what my goals are for myself in the semester. And they usually are so intimidated by my to-do list. Cause I was like, do not complain. You're busy. Cause I will win this. I will win this <laughs> one. And what's nice is that one, I think they ask and my struggle models, if I, I let them know, like I totally failed this week on what I wanted to get done. And here's why, where are you guys then what you guys want to do? Mm-hmm. And so it, I just use my life as the teaching example, successes yeah. and failures, you know, but wow. how are you, so how do you manage with building a career at, at the agency say, and then running your own PR agency on the side? Like, how does that work? Because those are close together in theme. Yeah, they are. They're different enough, but close enough. You know, weirdly enough, I think the pandemic helped me just because I'm able to, I get to decide when I'm productive and and when I work the best. And I'm able to sort of pivot from my meetings and different things are happening very easily. I think setting my own schedule helps a lot versus other people who with the pandemic, they can't do that. You know, they're just for some reason, you know, they can't sit on their computer and work all the time. And that's okay, you know, because everyone has to kind of figure out the best way that they're going to work together. But, you know, I think prioritizing, I have a self journal that every single week you set goals and, and every single day you sort of set your schedule and your goals and what you have to accomplish versus what you can accomplish if you want to, you know, affirmations are super important. Can we just wait a minute? I love that. Cause I do the same thing. I have my list and I even, and I'm going to do a shout out like Lauren, you know who you are. Like we talk a lot about like lists, like yeah. you can have your to-do list, but you need to do be practical and then you can be aspirational because otherwise you go to bed every night feeling like a failure. Yeah. So I totally get that. Affirmations. Talk to me about affirmations because there's some mixed, I'm a bit of a follower of Lacey Phillips and about manifestation. 
And what I love about her work is that she doesn't, she's not against manifest, like saying affirmations, but that isn't necessarily like for her with rewiring your brain, like the best way to go. I do some affirmations. Like I do a gratitude practice in the morning. Mm -hmm. I just name three things I'm grateful for. And I try to have one thing about myself. So it's like, not just all outwards. I do every day. So pretty. I love the color coordination. (laughs) What I'm grateful for. My It's so hour by hour. Yeah. I love yours. Yours is so much prettier than mine. <laughs> my brain dump every night. I love it. I love that. No, and it works. But some of it's not affirmation. Some of it's yeah. just, you know, I'm just grateful for this today. I got to see a rainbow, yeah. you know? Yeah. I feel like every man who's listening to this podcast right now, and we're talking about daily affirmations, there's an eye roll. And so I want to sort of at least say, let's talk about this. It's just, you know, does it really work for you? So for me personally, I think that affirmation saved my life. Being from England, moving to Germany, Germany was always known as the the British kid. The weird kid from England has the English customs and you celebrate Christmas on a different day than we did in Germany. And it was fine. And I loved, you know, I had a lot of friends and all kinds of stuff. Moving from Germany to America and then being the German kid, which was like an identity crisis. So a lot of I'm like the third culture kid in Germany. I'm the third culture kid in in America. I, you know, a lot of times it's that assimilation and it's also like an imposter syndrome, right? Like being a woman, being successful. A lot of men are intimidated. A lot of my partners were intimidated and, you know, with my goals and what my ambitions were. And there's a lot of limitations and I think self-doubt that I try to work through every single day. And affirmations and manifestations, I think they were always the part of my life, but I wasn't intentional about them until a few months ago. And they turned my life around saying every morning I wake up and I have this YouTube video that I listen to. And I say them, you know, with a mask on, you can talk to yourself and nobody knows. I know. I love the mask. I I love the mask. It's great. It's amazing. And I can, you know, talk, I I don't know. I just, I talk to myself a lot. So it's like, I do too. And I just feel like the, it feel blessed. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, just telling yourself I'm beautiful or I am, I'm enough and I'm worthy or even something, you know, like. I'm strong when I'm at the gym, right? And I'm I'm lifting weights or something. It's good. It's taking intentional time to breathe. You know, a lot of times we're so busy. We're so busy with useless things where we don't sit down and say, wow, I'm alive. Wow. Like I'm actually sitting here and we're having a conversation. Wow. You know, like, let's talk about that miracle that like our body is still functioning after all of our worst times. And after all of the mean things somebody might've said to us years ago, right? We're still here and we're still living our life in the best way and just putting our best foot forward. And yeah, I think that a lot of men are probably like, ah, eh, that's not really working. But a lot of my friends, you know, I'm always like, here's this affirmation video, listen to it. You know, they won't always admit it, but, but I think that it's, you know, I think society is being a little bit more accepting of it and they're yeah. leaning more into it and just living in general and being vulnerable. You know, it's something that wasn't always accepted before, but I think now with COVID with everything else, with just how everything is changing. I mean, people are losing their jobs. People are vulnerable all the time. Things suck, right? And if we're not there for each other, it's never going to change. I think it's so beautiful. You talk about vulnerability. And I think that's the thing that people lose as they age. And it's something that we Mm. should really struggle Mm. to keep. So we're using the word authentic. I use the word authentic all the time but you want to be authentic and vulnerable. And I'm really, I'm sort of working on that. But again, it was that weird when Eric and I broke up for the year when we were 40, 
when we got back together, the one thing we really liked is that we had both spent a very vulnerable year apart and we liked Mm -hmm. all the growth. And actually with all the horrible grief, there was this amazing kind of joy that both of us felt. And then when we were back together, because we're really, we're just meant to be together. We were like, we're going to work really hard not to lose this, you know, not to lose Mm. this vulnerability. And, you know, in everyday life, we kind of do. And then we have to sort of call ourselves back to it. Like we're not being vulnerable with each other. You know, we're bickering a lot. We're doing this everyday world is getting in the way. Like we're not being vulnerable at all with one another. And it's fascinating how that builds self-esteem, like how you would think that vulnerability does the opposite because you're going to allow yourself to get hurt or something. But what it is super empowering Mm -hmm. because you're just putting, you know, you're just moving through the world as you and you're great. And it's, you're right. I mean, that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And I think Lenya, one of your goals, I think in the new year's uh, podcast, I think one of your goals was, I don't remember what exactly you said, but it was like, you know, I'm going to speak my truth or I'm going to speak up more and really just be myself. And I remember texting Shane and I was like, oh my God, I just had a lightning bulb moment. Because part of that is being vulnerable, right? And and being okay with being yourself because yeah. all of your decisions and everything that you've done so far has gotten you to this point. And so in being vulnerable, although it's terrifying and scary, and even my heart's like skipping right now, it's still this beautiful thing where you're like, wow, I said that and it's okay. Yep, and now yep. we can move forward together. You know, it's this whole podcast for me is about has been about being vulnerable and about being able to say what I want to say and not be afraid to say it. Because yeah. in the beginning, I used to self-edit a mm. lot. Right. <laughs> Alex would go, you know, you're gonna, you, you know, you're gonna edit that out. You know, you're gonna edit that out. He's <laughs> not even gonna leave that in. And then, you know, and then I had this moment, well, you know, but this is how I feel. Yeah. So, you know, like I know that that whole thing about Ellen and leaving that in was a big thing because like I'm in the industry and I mean, not that I think she's going to listen, but you know, somebody might hear it and have some type of feelings. Yeah. And she might feel a certain type of way, but you know what? She knows who she is. (laughs) It's not like you're going out there shaming her. You're just saying it on our podcast, which is reserved for these conversations. It it is okay. No, it's also my truth. It's not like I'm I'm like, I'm not lying. I'm not, you know, I'm not throwing, you you know what I mean? Like this is what happened. Right. And this is how I felt about it. (laughs) Right. Period. Yeah. It's your experience and, and it's your narrative. And, you know, I think it's fine. Now, let me ask you to this. Is there anything that you edited out of your podcast that you wish you would have kept in? That's a Mm. really good question. That is a good question. Because in the beginning, there were lots of times we'd take out whole paragraphs. Yeah. Or I would. I'd be like, no, No, I I did too. There was an episode early on where I took out something that I I felt like it would have made a big difference to leave it in. Sometimes mm-hmm. our editor pushes back. Yeah. I love that. I do think that there was stuff that I could have been braver and left in the beginning about blurring the line between my teaching persona mm. and me. And mm. 
even though I yeah, there's often times you say stuff like that. You there's often times Alex would be like, "Oh, I don't know, you know, the, I I have to be careful because of the law school." Yeah, yeah, you know, and just you know, I mean, it's a law school. They understand my First Amendment rights to talk, <laughs> but. but but I am a teacher. I have responsibility yeah. to my students and we have a lot. Of, we Not everybody is a lefty at the law school. And I have always prided myself on, and I've always been kind of surprised that people who are religious feel comfortable coming to me, people who are right on the right wing of the right side of things, politically feel free to come to me to talk about school, but to talk about problems they might have with another professor at school. And I really feel honored that even though I'm so open about who I am, that they don't think that I'm going to judge them. And I think that's true. And I'm certainly not going to judge them in school because it's not my right to judge them in school. Yeah. Now, am I going to invite them to my house for a dinner party? No. no. You know, where a, a different student might graduate and I might say, we might have a friendship after this. And, and that's my right mm -hmm. to do so. But in school, everything's equal. And I'm very clear on that. With the podcast, it made me a little bit nervous that then I'm sort of amplifying my voice and also, if we were started so much of what we talk about so on a socio-political basis, might somehow start to get entangled with school policies. And I'm worried mm -hmm. that I might have my opinion and maybe my opinion of the current administration of the school. And I just, I drew a very thick line while I found my comfort zone. Yeah. And I'm sh I over-edited myself on certain things about what makes me feel honest and what doesn't. And then honestly, as a white woman, Fran, I have my head, which is always level, you know, and Lenny always says we're all racist. And I also, mm -hmm. I believe that, right. And it's partly, it's just your reptilian xenophobic brain, right? So it's just, it's not even something you're just born with it. And then you have to use your brain that makes us different than animals, right? And learn. Mm -hmm. And so in that concept, I, you know, there is, and I am a lawyer. So there is this, I'm trying to find the other side and I want to sort of see this. And it's hard, you know, when you're talking about race and it was the summer and everything was so heightened. Mm -hmm. And I would, I really believed and I believe this, that everybody ha should be able to express their frustrations. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of expression of frustration that was going on this summer. And a lot of righteous things too. But everything, you know, everybody listening to this who is a student of mine is going to laugh. But I was like, life is a spectrum. And, you know, we have this thing. And then at some point, things were more frustration. And they were going to have to, like, after the frustration and the dust settles, okay, but what's practical and what's realistic mm -hmm. and what's, and how do we move forward? And that's kind of what the pot, the podcast came out of that concept. Yeah. But there were definitely times where there were things, there were times where I might've wanted to say, you know, but this, or I did say, but this, and then I was like, oh, I don't want to put that in the world. Mm. I'm scared people are going to come after me. And so, and I wouldn't do that now. I so just feel more- yeah. Yeah, now you're like, come for me. Len, you yeah. got my back. 
it's a little bit of that that I also feel like I do feel that, but also I feel that people who've been listening to the podcast know me, there is a little bit of trust in there. So if I speak, there's a depth that they, Mm -hmm. that I can get the benefit of the doubt a little bit. So if I were to say something that would upset somebody, there could be a conversation about it. Yeah. But it was nerve wracking. I mean, I can't tell you how many times right before we released the first one where I was like, Lennon, we should just not do this. Are you kidding me? What are we doing? (laughs) You've changed lives. Let me tell you. No, but you know, I think there's certainly that part of credibility where we've had this many seasons, we've done this many episodes where you know my opinion, we can talk about it. There's sort of that persona where, you know, you have people like me who are like, hey, we're friends and we've never met until now, you know? (laughs) But at the same time, it's also, you know, you have a world and, and you have people that are so afraid to speak. I mean, you know, I have a hard time, you know, speaking to my parents truthfully with everything happening in the world because our opinions just widely differ. And there currently is just no commonplace. So, so a lot of people just don't say anything and then they don't have a place to, to tell their frustrations or, or when they're confused and, and, you know, what do I Google? What can I say? What can I ask my friends? What conversation can we have? What's too much? What's not enough? Am I being offensive? Am I being racist? How do I know my biases? Right. And there's a lot of personal accountability with that, but also there needs to be that conversation with somebody else to help that, you know, and I think certainly this podcast is giving that voice or at least a, a different perspective that maybe people haven't thought about that, you know, it would make me nervous. And I definitely was nervous coming on here, but it's good. <laughs> it's so funny because like Alec, all of the things that Alex, you know, worried about seemed so important. And then mm. all of the things that I would remove would be things about celebrities that I didn't want people to know that I was saying. <laughs> You work in the industry. Yeah, because I work in the industry and I know that there are people that listen that are in the industry, right? And I know, especially with some of the things that I took out, they would get back to those people. You know what I mean? So it's just, oh, let me just shut up. (laughs) It just seems so superficial, right? Compared to, I don't want to blur the lines with, you know, my political- Right. And the school and this and that. And here I am like, I just don't want Brad Pitt to know that I know. Literally, it feels like the opposite. (laughs) The opposite. I'm just like, you know. So let's just take Brad Pitt's name out of this. (laughs) But that was really funny, and you should have left it in. I know, but no, I know, I know, I know. Tell me the secret. I promise I won't tell anybody. Put it in the chat function, Lenya. I will email you, friend. Okay. Or better yet, the next time Shane and you go out for a hike, maybe if I'm not working, I'll go. Yes, he please. doesn't mind. So the thing is, I know that sometimes those times are his time, right? And I'm trying not to be that wife that, you know, because he he spends a lot of time in his office and just- His computer. At his computer. I don't, you haven't seen, you have to come and see his, I said to him, he needs to invite some of his work friends over to sit in the office with him while he works and pretend like they're in the office. Literally, it'll just be me standing behind it being like, do this. (laughs) No, but I would love that. I've been asking him. I'm like, let's all go on a hike. Well, we'll go somewhere. We'll have coffee. It'll be beautiful. Yeah. The last time he went and saw you in Santa Monica, he came back with sidecar donuts with for me. So I was so excited. That's of course, so I put on nice. It's fine. I know. Isn't that so sweet? It's not his so car funny. got towed. I think he likes me fat. <laughs> what? He likes you happy. I put on three pounds. That's nothing. Are you kidding me? 
when you're weighing yourself in at a competition, three oh. pounds, getting rid of three pounds in two hours. Is that possible? Yeah, but it's not healthy. Well, it's, it's also healthy. that, I mean, Lenya's barely five feet tall. So also three pounds. Yeah, it's like half a boob. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Uh, yeah, I'm I'm very I'm like five feet, just five feet. So yeah, three pounds does make a big difference. Yeah. But it was just like he brought home this whole like sleeve of donuts. And sidecar is like one of my kryptonites. Beautiful. Well, I have oh, to say, if I me. had that, I would ask Eric to go for a ride, drive by himself. I would get in bed alone with the donuts and Netflix, like some British murder show, and I would be the <laughs> happiest person on the planet. <laughs> so Fran, I mean, I am an Anglophile. So she loves you already. <laughs> yeah. Like I am I want to it's I've always wanted to live there. Maybe Bristol, maybe London. We walked across we did the Dales Way, so we walked across wow. northern England like 86 miles in 5 days. And wow. I just didn't want to leave and then we were in this the small village of Sedbur. Oh my goodness. And there we met because of course Eric's a big cook. So of course we go into every butcher store in everywhere we travel. And he was in the butcher store looking at the meat. He started talking to the butcher and the butcher was like, I'm so sad because my son has left for London and I have nobody to take over the butcher shop. And the net, like Eric was at lunch trying to like seriously think if it was worth it for him to <laughs> I was like, are you what in Sedbur? I was just like, how, what will I do? What will I do? You will be the butcher's wife. (laughs) Oh my God. Cause that is writing. That is, I mean, I would write mysteries. I would write. Oh my God. The best mysteries. Oh, come on. That would be amazing. Why didn't you do it? We would have never met. A long time ago. I would have never met you. That's why I was fated to meet you. Everything happens for a reason. Yes. No, absolutely. How funny. So what's it like as, as a woman in advertising? I, I guess I'd like to bring this up since you're working in advertising. And even though it's been a while since that show's been on, it's hard not to sort of think madman. Mad and also just like, even just, I mean, advertising is, I don't know what it's like in LA, but New York advertising is very cutthroat. And yep. so it's not so bad here though, is it? Cause Shane doesn't complain about that. Oh, what do I want to say? <laughs> <laughs> Thinking about my job here. No, I'm really lucky. I mean, my agency, the, the people are amazing and, and it's a huge family and I'm so grateful for like our clients and everything. I will say when I first started, there was a place for the women. And there was a place for the men and there were rooms that you couldn't say something. It just wasn't appropriate. You weren't invited, even though it might've been my project or my campaign. A lot of times, you know, my men counterparts would get the credit for it or would have to present my ideas or my presentations. A lot of times the blame was shifted. There were certain, you know, there's sort of different types of projects that are more, you know, credible, right. Than others. And there's a, history where only men are allowed to work on those and not women. So when I first started, I sort of raised a sink about it and I'm good at what I do, right? I'm committed. I'm talented. I'm skillful. And I work really hard to make sure that what I do is correct and it's good. You know, it's of quality. And I think the longer I worked there and I sort of 
got more of a voice and I was able to sort of push through some of the rooms a lot easier. So it's it sort of shifted a little bit. And at least it's it allowed me to sort of pave the way for other people to, to come in and be in those rooms as well. But it wasn't always like that. I don't think it's as cutthroat as it was as it is in New York, certainly not. But there are, you know, different agencies that have different, you know, just different cultures, different ways that you go to them for, you know, some are more creatively driven, some are more account driven, some are more strategy driven. And so depending on where you go, you're going to learn different things, you're going to be in different rooms and do different projects. But overall, you know, I'm super lucky. It's a lot more teamwork oriented now, um, but it wasn't always like that. Do you feel, do you experience you know, and it's always such a hard question to ask because it's like in your current employment. So you can answer broadly if, but what kind of sexism or microaggressions have you been facing in your workplace? You're younger than we are. So I'm always sort of Mm -hmm. curious what's out there. The biggest thing is just, I think saying something and somebody else saying the same thing and, you know, oh, that's such a great idea. But when you say it, it's nothing. Sometimes it's just giving direction to certain people. And and, and especially at my age, I think it's sometimes harder to give direction or lead certain things where somebody's not going to take you as seriously because it's coming from you versus somebody else, maybe more senior or older. But again, I mean, I'm really lucky in my place right now where I think it doesn't happen as often anymore. But that could be because I've been there for a few years now. So, you know, a lot of times people know me a little bit better. But I have been at different places of employment where it was just totally, it didn't even matter as if I wasn't even in the room, you know, like I could say wow. something and I could be like, Hey, you know, and I'm an account. So generally what I say comes from the client. It comes from sort of the brief. And it was like, it doesn't matter what your opinion is. I'm not going to do it. Just deal with it. You know, just totally as if it was totally invisible, which is incredibly hard thing to just work through. But you know, again, I have a lot of really great mentors. So I think help me through a lot of those conversations and just kind sure. of push forward with it. And you just have to be the bigger person, you know, working with different partner agencies, for example, you still have the same goal. Of course, everyone wants to make the best possible thing for your client. But, you know, a lot of times it's, it, it, I think I, I recognize it just via email even, or, you know, text messages or, or, or something like that. So, yeah. Well, you that. also do work with cars, right? Yeah. So this male dominated so they're one of the main accounts is like a car company and it's a is it a Japanese company yes yeah but I will so it's interesting because our female clients are so innovative and so amazing and they're really pushing the boundaries more than I think they've ever been able to which is great but I think there's certainly something there but you know I haven't always experienced a lot of that sexism I know I've had a few bosses who've been with clients where even though they let the account, they weren't allowed to speak in a room um, just because it was with certain men or whatever that just in their culture, they weren't allowed to say anything. But I'll show you Peanut because Peanut. So cute. You've met Peanut before, right? I met Peanut, yeah. Peanut and used to go to the like And that he was under. Yes. Yeah. Peanut used to go to work with Shane. I remember when you got Peanut, You, I was meeting was her tiny. at a wine bar. I didn't know she had gotten Peanut. And she came, met me at a wine bar and we were sitting down and she like, I mean, it, what an LA moment. And then she How opens funny. her purse and there's a dog. <laughs> you have a second dog now, right? Buttercup? Yes, or? I have Buttercup. Yeah, and Yeah, she's hanging out with Shane. They, they got into a little bit of a fight. And so they've been, they've not been hanging out as much. Oh, pandemic. They're just sick. <laughs> Too, of much together. <laughs> Too much time together. Too much time together. <laughs> oh funny oh, oh my god 
I, you know, I wonder about the dogs of the world. What are they going to do when the pandemic is over and they've been so used to having their owners at home all the time? I'm actually, Eric and I have talked about it. I'm actually concerned. I'm concerned. I think I'm saving, I'm putting money together for doggy daycare. Yeah. You know, so that he can at least go a few days a week have some interaction, have some interaction and we'll try to ease them into it. I mean, I, but I don't know. I mean, because it is, and I'm also kind of hoping maybe like at Eric's work at shadow machine, they allow everybody to bring their dogs in. So it's Mm -hmm. such a nice workplace. Yeah. And so I'm kind of hoping that my work would also allow us to do that. Yeah. One of those moments that I might want to edit out because then I'm like, but they're too uptight. So they're not going to, and (laughs) I'll leave that in. But (laughs) my, um, I used to have a roommate who had a golden retriever and I brought the golden retriever to work with me. And it was so stressful because he was still a puppy and it just would continue to bark. And I'm like, I just can't take it. (laughs) But that would be amazing. Yeah. Well, I think there are rules. Eric actually said the reason he doesn't take Harry is because sometimes when Harry really likes another dog, he wants to be chased by that dog. And so mm. he barks. And Eric's, we don't allow barking. Like it has to yeah. be really chill dogs. Otherwise they don't, they're not invited back. So yeah. it's, I, I totally get that. I mean, and I understand if somebody's allergic, I understand all that stuff. I do know that I, I work, I'm the director of the writing center and sometimes people come in who are unhappy about their writing or they're stressed out. And so I just feel like Harry should be the emotional, emotional support, support dog. Yes. dog. Like oh, I was would just like such an argument like as to why the writing center should have a dog. And Eric looks at me, he's like, but it probably wouldn't be Harry. <laughs> <laughs> Harry doesn't like some people. And if Aww. he doesn't like you, he will growl at you the entire time. Yeah. yeah. And that's okay. his inner chihuahua. Yeah. See, so So I have, you know, friend, we have two chihuahuas and it's the little girl, the one that you haven't met. She's not pleasant. Oh, I feel like peanut was like cute, but a little bit scared, but he let me, he let me like pet him for a little bit. And then I think he was a little bit scared and just kind of chilled out by himself, but he won't bite you or anything like that. Right. That's because peanut was on the streets for a while. Buttercup (laughs) will bite you. Yes. All right. So I have to ask, so I have to ask, okay. So when we were talking about this and we were thinking about topics, we were talking, we were thinking we would talk about slut shaming. Are we not talking about (laughs) slut shaming? I know we haven't brought it up once. We can. (laughs) Well, I think we should. I mean, we're at the hour mark, which, but it's been an amazing conversation, but I want to, I want to talk about slut shaming. We haven't talked about it. And I think it's an important topic. I think it's very important for us as women to talk about this. And I also think it's gender. Fran, how old are you, may we ask? 26. Yeah, so it's a perfect gender split conversation too, because I think it's changed, probably not enough, Mm -hmm. but changed. So let's actually like, can we nerd out for just a minute? What are we defining as slut right now? Hmm, I don't know. (laughs) we can't talk about it well because I don't really believe in that word I feel like I I just feel like that word is a word that men use when they want to label a woman I feel like women use it more I have not heard men use the word slut although you know where am I I going to hear that okay 
Oh, I have. But I haven't in a long time. I think it's a word that women use as both a sword and a shield. Mm -hmm. So I hear it more from women, but that's why I want to actually talk about, do we think it actually just means promiscuous? Do we think it is a fashion, like a mode of fashion? Do we think that it means prostitute that you're that there's money exchanged because no, you know, when I was in fourth grade, slut meant prostitute to me. That is Mm. what I thought it meant. And I was probably wrong, but that's what I thought it meant. Then, you know, oh, I'm dressing slutty. And then slutty just had a slightly cheaper connotation to sexy. Anyway, so I'm just sort of, or does it just mean promiscuous? I think it means promiscuity. And when you're dressing slutty, you're dressing as if you're asking maybe for that type of behavior, but not, I mean that, but I really don't like that word. I don't. So I'll use it with my friends and it's not a bad thing. Cause if you're saying like, Oh, you look like a slut. It's just like a cute, you look good. You know, like you're showing a little bit of skin, but it's fine. But I will say, you know, when I first moved to the States, I had a playboy pencil case and it was playboy in Germany was like the thing. It was cool. Cause you know, your body's beautiful. It was like self-expression. And I actually had a teacher, like it was like two weeks after I moved here. So I could barely speak English. And a teacher came up to me and was, and was like asking me questions like, hey, are you sleeping with other boys? You have this pencil case. It's sort of asking for it. You're asking other boys to come up to you and, you know, like just be careful with it. So I never thought that the word slut was like a bad thing until it was sort of taught to me by this teacher that I had, you know, and of course I thought it was like the coolest thing. And, you know, look at me with my Playboy pencil case. I look, you know, I'm hip. And in that sense, it was taught to me that it was like, well, no, Playboy and slut, it's sort of, you're asking for, you know, sexual favors, or you're asking to be promiscuous and you're sort of putting yourself out there and and saying that you're easy. In that sense, it's bad, right? So I would you know, I would say it's sort of a promiscuous, but also I've had boys, I've had men call me a slut before, right? Because I might say no at the bar or because I might yeah. not want to talk to them for whatever reason. And, and I think in that sense, of course, it's just being mean and just trying to put other people down. But I think that women have used it as a, a kind of taking the term back and using it as something that they can use as a weapon. Like, so what? You know, like just how people call each other bitches or whatever. It's, no, it's my term now. I'm going to use it for strength and not for weakness. Well, some guy called me a slut. And this would have been about a year and a half ago at a bar. Because I mean, I I don't think I was wearing my wedding ring. So, but what difference does it make? If I tell you, I want to talk to you. And he was like, oh, you don't have to be such a slut. I was like, well, I am one. Thank you. Bye. Right. (laughs) I am one, but not for you. (laughs) Right. Right. I am. I am, but still not even you. Yeah. Everyone else. But not you. you. (laughs) But see, I I, I don't know. Like, I just think that that word, kind of like the N word, Mm -hmm. it's just a word that that really shouldn't, it it shouldn't exist. I don't know. What's so hard for me is that you're saying this and I'm, I, I mean, I don't disagree. But what's funny is I am much more triggered by the word bitch and women yes. that all the time. Mm, and, I do have, and I do have a friend. I I mean, and I use, I do actually use the word bitch and, and I usually use it as a joke, like satirical joke a little bit when I say, mm-hmm. oh, I'm going to be the bitch, but I've used it in other words, but I have a friend 
Her name is Kathy and she just will not use the word. She hates the word. She will correct you. She will say, please don't use it in my presence. Mm -hmm. And there is something really beautiful about her just drawing that line. And, you know, the argument is, are women taking that, you know, people say boss bitch, you know, as a positive thing. And I have to say, as I've aged, as I've gotten older, I have found that word more vulgar. Like Mm -hmm. I, because when you really do think about what that word actually means, it is so insulting and there's no empowerment in that word at all where, you know, because you're basically being called a female dog who Mm -hmm. breeds, you know, and that's, just hard that I don't there's nothing there's no connotation of that that's going to be positive where being promiscuous I don't know if you want to call me a player call me a player so I feel Mm -hmm. like that connotation could be changed if somebody called me a bitch it would sting more but that just might be my own thing if somebody called me a slut I would be like you're an idiot that is sort of but it's sort of it's like owning your sexuality as well, right? So if somebody is calling you a slut, a lot of times as women, we're taught that we're not supposed to be sexual beings for some reason, right? But in reality, we're divine and we're beautiful and our bodies are too, right? Our minds, our bodies, everything. And I think it's it's sort of an insult almost from men and other people who are like, oh, like you're such a slut, right? And a lot of times it's because their ego is bruised, right? And we can say, you know, yeah, I am, so what? Or sure, who cares? You know, we can sort of brush that off. Well, actually, I kind of thought like in college and law school, and I was, I guess, slutty. I mean, there's no way to, I was promiscuous. And I remember, and I probably gave way too much thought to this, which is why we shouldn't have to worry. I shouldn't have to apologize for anything I want to do as long as my self-esteem and I'm okay. That's so again, this was all done at, you know, between the ages of 16 and 28 probably. And Mm -hmm. in thinking about that, you know, those 12 years, I thought a lot about how I I have to own my own sexuality, how there was a little bit of a power of being just slutty enough. Like it made Mm -hmm. men kind of entice you, but you couldn't be too slutty. And it was this kind of weird balance that I got to say, I remember walking in law school. Like, I remember sort of walking the balance of, you know, if there's one more person, I have to keep it a secret. Do you know what Mm. I mean? It has to be a secret because if I'm going to do this, or there was a a man that I, you know, we were just having a physical relationship. There was really nothing else to the relationship. But I really, at some point had to say to him, I know you can be in the open about this, but it's 1991. And I can't be in the open about this because I am going to be labeled, you know, labeled yeah. or it's just, I'm what it is, is I'm going to be vulnerable to gossip. I didn't even know if I would be, I didn't know if my friends would get it or not, but I was like, I'm going to be vulnerable to judgment. And I'd rather just, why does anybody have to even know what I'm doing? And so, yeah. and I, and the thing was, I was like, the moment you tell somebody the moment we're done and it was fine. It ended up being okay. But now I, you know, but it's funny in past what I find when you talk history, like now at 50, when I look at back at my slutty days, I'm like, oh, my slutty days, they were so great. Look at me. I shouldn't be more slutty. That is, I don't know very many women. Well, it probably goes both ways. There are women who wish they slept with less and there are women who are like, I should have had 
more fun. No, it just comes down to though, like self-expression as well. And just accepting who you are. Right. Because, you know, in college, I had a lot of friends who were really promiscuous and it was, you know, at the time they were just having fun and it was just their life. And now looking back, they're like, well, I, you know, I don't know if I should have done that, but you know, they're okay with it because it sort of allowed them to just live their life freely without caring what other people thought or, you know, right. so it was just like, well, let me just feel what I'm feeling. Let me just do what I want to do. I think for women, it's hard because women, because we tend to be relational, we're conditioned mm-hmm. as relational is the idea is that sex and boys and everything and and I am sort of talking about a straight orientation here although I imagine it's the same for women no matter what the orientation but I think especially with the male gaze that beauty is defined by the male gaze that and so are we doing it I think if you were 18 and you're saying I'm being really sexual because it's self expression Or could you really at 18 say, or I'm doing this because it's self-expression that gets me validated. Mm -hmm. And I think when you're, when you look back, you probably regret, wow, I did a lot of that, not because it was pure self-expression. It's because I really needed a lot of validation back then. And maybe that wasn't so smart, which I don't think it should affect your self-esteem. I think it makes you become a grown-up. But I mean, I think that's the, that's what's so complicated for women and sex. Uh, when I, before I met Shane, I was in my forties and single. By the time I met Shane, I had been single, you know, divorced for four or five years. And in that time, I was dating with a capital D. I would have like when I met Shane, I would have a breakfast date, I'd have a lunch date, I'd have a dinner date, I might have a walk around date. There were times, there were often times where I would have four or five dates, you know, maybe in a day maybe four dates in a day. I wasn't necessarily sleeping with all of them, but if I chose to sleep with one, I would. I didn't end up sleeping with as many as I thought I would, Mm -hmm. which was interestingly enough, because here I am now, I'm older, and I would, you would think I was felt freer, but I actually felt more constrained. Mm -hmm. And what was interesting was there, there was this one guy who was so cool, Older guy, and which was interesting because older guys just didn't like want someone that was in their 40s. It was generally like the 30 and 20 year olds. Mm -hmm. And why I'm married to Shane, who's 11 years younger than me. And so there was an older guy who was older than me. And we had a little bit of a dating relationship for a while. And he said, the thing that makes you so enticing, that makes you so popular on this website that I was on, I want to say it was like our time, but it wasn't, you know, it was like some dating Cupid thing. I don't know. He was like, it's because you're old enough that you don't want to have kids and you don't necessarily want to have a relationship because I never said I did, but if you wanted to, you could, do you know what I mean? Like I was old enough. And, yeah. and he said, that's what made, and you know, he said, that's why you're so popular on here because a lot of my other girlfriends that were single at that time, but were younger than me, like way younger than me, were not successfully dating. Wow. That's what they were the ones that coined the you're dating with a capital D. Wow. Why did you feel more constrained back then? I don't know. I felt like maybe because I was older and, you know, I guess also because I was older and not that I was competing with a younger girl, but I was dating in that dating pool. Mm. And and there were a lot of times when, you know, I had some guy like a, he, he, after three or three dates, he was like, sent me some random, you know, hookup 2am text message. And I was like, not interested. And he sends me this other, you know, 
I sent him a message saying that this isn't what I'm looking for or whatever, not from you. And um, my friend at the time was like, oh, he's going to, he's going to text you back. I'm like, no, he's not going to text me back. I basically told him, you know, this is just like, oh my God, he's going to text you back. And he never texted back. But then when I saw him out, because Sydney Australia is very small, I saw him out. He was like, you're a slut. You know that. So that's what I'm saying, Alex, a lot of guys, especially yeah. in Australia, use the word slut as slander. Yeah. yeah that's horrible. I, I'm I like, oh, because I wouldn't sleep with you. I'm a slut. <laughs> that makes right, me a slut, right? right? Okay, whatever. When I was 40 and single, I wrote a blog. It's still up. It's called Car Accidents and Cowboys. And it is about my second adolescence when I was really slutty <laughs> at 40. And it's just, and I wrote it under a pseudonym like Tessa Dante. And it was a really popular blog at the time because it really was just sort of embracing this year of this. So I felt a little empowered by the word, but I was also 40. I would have been devastated by the word in my 20s. That's yeah, just, yeah. and then I think what, and then this concept of slut shaming, which isn't a term that we used, I used in the 90s. I don't know when the word came about, but I mean, are women using that against each other in their 20s? You know, I don't think so. I mean, not at least in my world. I think the most times that I hear it is mostly when men call women that, right? Thinking about dating in LA, a lot of times there's also another term that's like the Peter Pan syndrome, right? Where you have a lot of men who don't want to settle down. They, they want to play around forever. And you have a lot of women who just want to settle down and be like, Hey, let's do this. But you can't, you know, you can't settle down with them because it's you're dating six people at one time. But if you say no, or you want to set boundaries or something, then it's, Oh, you're a slut or Hey, that's shameful. Or Hey, you're, you're bitchy because you are telling me no. I think that's most often when I hear it at least. So the slut shaming is just, is mostly men, not. I think so. Yeah. I think in the, what I find interesting is that I also think it has. So as a teacher, I'm going to, I'm going to talk about this. So as a teacher, I think teachers are a little fearful of slut shaming or getting caught into it when we talk about dress, because mm. there is this. So there was a student about 10 years ago and she would wear. I mean, she just wore club clothes to, to school and it's freaking grad school. So, I mean, if you're wearing club clothes at 18 to, to your class, either, either you're just getting in from the club and going to class or you're trying on one of your identities because that's mm -hmm. what you do, right? As, as in between 18 and, and but you're in freaking law school, you're deciding yeah. you want to be a part of this, the establishment or whatever. And, you know, it was really low cut really short and it was and I was distracted by her boobs I have to say like mm -hmm. they were beautiful I mean you know and so I couldn't stop staring <laughs> like it was just but it was like it was really hard because somebody could come in with a mohawk and I wouldn't give a shit so I really did have this moment it was like I kind of wanted to talk to her and just say you know but then I was like I don't have any right to because that would be slut shaming mm -hmm. you know like it is you can't do it but then there's a situation where somebody didn't get a job and this is hearsay, but somebody didn't get a job. And when the reference who really felt bad for the student said, well, why didn't she get the job? 
I said, well, she was okay in the interview, but we do a social media search and she's pretty much posing in her underwear, you know, in, on Instagram and it's a public site and we just can't, you know, she's going to be a lawyer here. Like we just can't do it. And so the person like took it on her as a mentor to go to the student and say, you know, this is really kind of why you didn't get the job. Like you might want to scrub your social media or at least make it uber, super private or Mm -hmm. have two different accounts, but whatever it is, like really protect yourself and your professional name. And that student complained about the teacher and said it was slut shaming. And it's that thing that this is that thing where I am very nervous all the time about if a if a teacher tries to help and if, and, and it gets, and it's considered is somehow wrong or whatever, like bite the hand that feeds you kind of thing. And of course it didn't go anywhere because the professor was really trying to help. And it really was actually really good advice. And I just sort of always say it generally to people, you know, change the spelling of your name, close the account, use a different name, you know, scrub it, do whatever you need to do, but make sure, you know, even I remember like just scrub the stupid pictures from high school that would embarrass that you should, if you're not ashamed of, you should be ashamed of. (laughs) Yes. You know what I mean? Like mark them private, man, have them in your own library, but it doesn't need to be out there. But I do feel like there is a little bit of slut shaming that goes on among women that way. And because everybody's always judging how one dresses. That's where I feel like women don't work together. Yeah. Especially on social media. I think you're definitely right there, especially because everyone wants to have their public image and they want to look great and they want to look unique and they want to show off and do different things. I think in that sense, it's a lot easier to, to sort of slut shame somebody that you don't know, or like an influencer, somebody who has more followers than you and, and say certain things or, Oh, you know, Look at this person, look at, you know, how promiscuous their stuff looks. Lena, do you see that definitely like in the industry as well? Or is that more forgiving? It depends. It depends on where you are in the industry and who you are. Mm. Certain people, that's what they're famous for and it's okay. Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like it's getting better now. People like Lizzo and even the Kardashians to a certain extent, you know, they put it out there and it is. (laughs) <laughs> Alex is like, no. I'm like Lizzie Lizzo yes yes Kardashian, no. but I'm just saying and I actually can define what that difference is I guess and you are probably right but I'm just saying they're they're they've normalized this sort of behavior so people you know you're not going to I, I mean I regret every any, I don't regret, what am I saying? I don't do this, but I'm saying any person that comes into me and says that they want to look like a Kardashian, you know, uh, I think they should regret saying that. But the, the thing is, if that's what they want to look like, if they want yeah. to deal, do that, then that's their business that, you know what I mean? There's not a, a sense of shame around it anymore. Well, the Kardashians are beautiful. I mean, like they are hands down, totally beautiful. Yes. Yeah, surgery. That's did not that what I'm that. talking about, but I am, I do feel but they dress a certain way and they behave yeah. a certain way. Well, here's the thing. Like there's a, I do think it's whether it's in the energy or in the clothes, but you know, I think about Madonna or Beyonce. Yeah. And 
but as sexy, they dress so, they're so sexy, but there is empowerment all over it. It is not sexualized, it's sexy. And I guess what makes me uncomfortable in, especially when I see young women doing it, is they are confusing sexy and sexualized. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And partially it's because they don't have the energy or the confidence to carry it off. So it comes off sexualized, even though on a different person, it yeah. might come off just as sexy. And I do think there is a difference there that I'm not, I mean, and this is just the beginning of this idea of this concept of conversation, but I know why, like, I never, I always felt when I look at Beyonce, I always feel like, my God, like power. I look mm -hmm. at Madonna, like Madonna, you know, in the eighties, like when she was at the forefront, I look at Cher, you know what I mean? Like at the forefront, really fashion forward, very revealing outfits, but so powerful and not yeah. about, it wasn't about getting a man. It wasn't mm -hmm. about the male gaze. I guess that's what it is. What makes me uncomfortable about Jennifer Lopez to some degree and like how she dresses not so much now like now that she's over for like the last 15 years I don't think this but in the early days Britney Spears in the early days and even Mariah Carey mm -hmm. and but it's about getting the male gaze and that yeah. And not that there there can't be anything wrong with that. I don't want to say you have a right if that's how you want to dress, but there is a difference. So when people are saying, well, I dress just like that, I'm like, well, no, you don't. Like, that's not, you do not look like a powerful woman. Like when I see a woman in law school wearing stripper heels, like four inch long, because they saw it on TV and when Meghan Markle was in suits and that's what she wore. And so that's what they're wearing and mm -hmm. they can barely walk in it. So they're walking like a cult with their tits out and their butt out and they're walking, not like they're in charge, right? Because they're just not really fully into that posture right. and they can't carry a 10 pound briefcase, which is what you're going to be carrying you know, and that's not looking powerful. That is dressing like you're wanting the male gaze and it's a failure of a look. And I, that I struggle with because I would never say anything because I do think it's an internal thing, but that's like the missing the mark. Yeah. Franz, I wanted to ask you on this vein, what did you, what do you think of Megan the Stallion and Cardi B? Because they, at this very moment in time, you know, they epitomize what we're talking about, right? Like yeah. they're, they don't want the male gaze. They're not, they aren't dressing for that, but they are still hyper-sexualized. You know what I mean? And I, I, I love it. I'm one of those that loves it. I embrace this. Like I, I totally embrace Megan, the stallion so much, like her. <laughs> She'll get up on her Instagram and slap her own ass and and twerk. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think that's great. Well, you know what's interesting is, but I think that's actually, that is empowered in a way because that's pushing the envelope in a different way because that's, we're talking about black women power, black yeah. women body power. And that's what's, that's what they're saying. Like they're saying, motherfucker, this is beautiful too. And yeah. I'm done. And so I think it's a little bit different of a message that it is hypersexualized, but it's 
it, I think it's speaking to women. I don't think it's speaking to men. No, and so again, like it, it's, it's speaking, I mean, I'm sure men are getting off on it. That's not what I'm talking about, but that WAP, the WAP video, yeah. like that wasn't for men. No, like, yeah. that was for other women to be like, holy shit, you look so hot. I can look hot too. It was totally body positive, sexuality positive mm-hmm. moment. I, I, yeah. that, but and they were slut shamed. Yes. And that's, and that's disgusting. Oh my God. So bad by so many different people, mostly white women, but oh my God. Yeah. You know, but it's, but it's all about rewriting that narrative. Right. And I think Cardi B is so awesome. Like the stallion is so awesome. Even like Chloe and Hallie, right. Like they're up and coming and they're in their early like twenties. I want to say, if not like 18, 19, I'm, I'm not quite sure. But you know, now people are such aiming them because maybe for a music video, they're wearing revealing clothing. But I think it's so beautiful because they're taking the term that's generally used derogatory and say, hey, that's a bad thing. And they're saying, no, I'm going to take it and I'm going to own it and I'm going to give it my own definition. And I think it's going to take time for that to really happen, for it to be sort of rewritten in, in history and how people talk about it. But it's sort of beautiful because it is empowering when you look at it, right? you know, going back to Madonna, even when she had her music videos, like I remember my parents and my grandparents being like, look at her. She's such a slut, you know, because it was like, whatever. It was so different at the time. Even when she was slut shamed, she was completely bad. Oh my God. The the Virgin video. Do you remember when that came out? Listen, we're from the time when a video was, when videos were about to drop on MTV, it was like, you stayed up, you taped it. (laughs) It was like, it was a thing. And I love it. And the, the end of that was Lady Gaga was the end of that when her videos, cause she, her videos were like productions and that, you know, but this is what we come from. This is yeah. where we come from. And I will never forget the like a version video. And my mom was like, Oh no, we're not watching this. Wow. <laughs> so funny. That's so funny. My mother was fine with that. This is where, you know, and this is why it's also all in the eye of the beholder, right? Because yeah. my mother was fine with that, but she would not let me watch Three's Company. Wow. Because it was, and not because it was two women living with a man. She was like, one, it's two vapid women. Like, she was like, I'm not letting you watch a show where the joke is about the woman being an idiot all the time and where Mm -hmm. it's just, and every joke is kind of about jiggly tits. And Mm -hmm. that was what she said. And she's, you're not watching it. So I could, you know, I could watch Hill Street Blues, which had violence in it but I could not watch this harmless show. But my mother's like, women are just ridiculously stupid. And and that's how they're portrayed. And, you know, I find that fascinating, you know, in that sense. But I think I've gotten a little more conservative as I've gotten older with clothes and stuff too. Like, I'm just tired. Like I see young people trying so hard to be sexy and it just looks like so much work. And what I feel bad about is like they're 25 and they don't know how beautiful and sexy they are without even doing all that work. It, yeah. Part of that is just, you know, it's that thing, that age. So Fran, I'm telling you, get naked, run around the beach right now, because I always say I should have run around naked all the time. All the time. It's it. so hot but, all the time. You <laughs> know, like- there's, there's something empowering though in wearing heels right and in wearing something where you're like let me wear this and even though I can't walk properly at least I feel empowered and I feel legit now 
if you're in your young 20s, a lot of that is rooted in sort of trying to prove something, right? L- look at me, I'm, I look good, I'm, I'm prepared, I'm this, I'm that. But, you know, it's better than wearing some of the flats sometimes too, you know, but. No, I and I wear heels all yeah. the time. I mean, I wear heels and dresses. Like people would say, yeah. oh, like the way you talk, you must always wear pants. And I was like, no, I love dresses. I love fem. I mean, I love the color black, but I mean, I'm feminine and I love really big heels. Like I make myself yeah. feet tall. I'll do it. But I also really buy shoes I can walk in. I was like, I don't yeah. buy the stiletto heel. And, but also I just found it funny when I did move to, this is an LA thing and it's back to the, it's back to your blog. What I love to hate about yes. LA is that in San Francisco, cause you had to walk everywhere. People just yeah. wore heels all the time, but it was like clunky heels, platform heels, because you have to walk right? You just have to be able to walk. You moved to LA and I sort of bought in when I first moved here and we were doing the whole Hollywood robot chickens thing and going to parties and stuff. So I bought like really high heels and Eric would be like, well, let's just walk. Like I'll park really far away and we'll walk. And then we would have these huge fights. Cause I was like, but I wore these heels. We need to valet like everybody else in Los Angeles because I wore the shoes that LA people wear. Yes. Yeah. So funny. I totally, I just think time and place. You're yes. going to hit live on the blog by the time we're done with Yeah, this. like, why aren't you doing it? Why don't you just do a soft launch? You know, because I want it to be perfect. And there's just, nothing. I know there's no such thing as perfect, but. But also know. blogs are meant not to be perfect. So when you hear famous bloggers talking, it's the idea of you want to post a lot and not, and not be precious about it because otherwise you'll never do it. So I, I mean, granted, I don't think it should just be a shit show, but I don't think it's about it being perfect. And you want to see, you're also going to go through a testing phase of what lands and what doesn't land. What, what do you, do you need to do a call to action? What kind of works? And, and the thing is, is you could always pull it down. You could always just pull it down tomorrow. But what if you were to just email it to us so tomorrow I could do a blast on Facebook and me, right? And Lenny can do a blast on Facebook. We could both do a blast on Instagram and you just get some, you get some traffic tomorrow and then you see what people like. And we will link it to the show notes. Yeah. And we'll talk about it as well. Once, when the episode comes out, I think you should do it. I think if for not, if nothing else, you should definitely have it live by the time this episode comes out. I'll push it live. But give me like one or two days to like just okay, polish. That's fair. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> and I think you are last episode. But like, this is the last episode before our little break. Right. This is the last episode of our season. So. Yeah, that's so exciting. Are we in season three? We are in season three. That's incredible. Wow, Alex. Yeah. It's amazing. We're doing this. Exactly. We're doing this, Lenny. Exactly. I know. It's been exactly a year since I saw you last. And it's almost going to be a year since we started the wow. podcast. I'm excited for the semester to be over when I can devote way more time to it, too. The yeah. next push. But When is it over? The semester's over. I don't know. My students have finals in May, but the craziness will be over. It starts to ebb. But like April 15th, I'm, I really get to breathe. But even... By March 31st, I'm breathing. But even yeah. what I before you came on, I was telling Lenya the moot court competition that I'm coaching, that's over next week. So things wow. are very slowly 
I'm going to be stripping like two hours a week away from my weeks, 10 hours mm. away and, and my life will start to come back to normal. But I've been enjoying everything. Mean, that's the thing that's so funny though, is I, I mean, I'm exhausted. And yesterday, I mean, I did shower. I did shower <laughs> yesterday, but it would have been several days. I just didn't have time. Yesterday yeah. was so busy. I like came out here for a meeting and then all of a sudden it was eight o'clock and I hadn't brushed my teeth. And I was like, well, this is bad, <laughs> but. Wow. But yeah. isn't it crazy how you can just put yourself to the side so easily? You know, you yeah. just forget. You're like, oh, I haven't brushed my teeth or I haven't washed my face or hey, I haven't eaten, right? It's Yeah, it's true. But I still felt fed. You know, I was tired at the end of the day and I was a little frazzled. But I have to say I was generally fed by everything I did because, you know, I think I helped a few students. I think I listened to something exciting. I think I gave good feedback. I mean, I think, you know, you do all those things. I'm really proud of myself. So I was really proud of myself yesterday. So yeah, my teeth can go, you know, back in caveman days, they didn't brush their teeth. There was no fluoride. Like I could make it a day. So I survived. Love it. Oh, and, and my then you ran around all- naked. Yeah, you <laughs> ran around naked. Well, I'm not. Okay, no. I do walk around naked all the time. I do in my apartment because it, again, it's empowering, right? Oh yeah, I absolutely. I have you two? I walk around in the backyard. I don't walk around. We have big windows Outside. to the front. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't even care. I think a lot of our neighbors have seen me naked at this point. <laughs> a lot of our neighbors. All right. I just don't care. I just don't care. Yeah. I mean, once I notice that like I'm working out and all I'm wearing is a bra and these little shorts that basically cover my butt cheeks, what do I care matter. if yeah. anybody sees me naked? Because all <laughs> they basically saw me naked before. Basically naked human. too. Like it's also that concept of humanity. Like it is, yeah. there should be no shame in the human body. Like I sort of miss, there was this great bath, female bathhouse in, oh, yeah. oh no, but I, yes, there is in Cretan. I mean, I miss all the Korean baths, but there was this place called Ocente in the mission in San Francisco. It closed and it was this old row house or like Victorian and it was pay what you could afford. So it was oh. very diverse and they had just like a huge, hot tub, they had a cold plunge. And then they had these wine barrels that had been made into saunas in the backyard. And it would just be naked women and it's San Francisco. So it's all shapes and sizes, all different races and ethnicities, all different ages. I mean, I just remember like sitting in vividly the last time I was there, like there was an 85 year old woman that I was sitting with and she was just so comfortable in her body. And I remember being like, I want to be that like yes. I want to be that I want to be that comfortable in my body at 83 that's what I want to do and I love that and I miss that because there is that community of women that you get when you go to a bathhouse and when you go mm-hmm. regularly that you do sort of feel your sense of what your body is normalizes because you mm-hmm. spend so much time looking at television and thinking this yeah. is what my body should look like and, yeah. um, and nobody looks like that they don't even look like that Right. It's all Photoshop, right? I mean, I remember reading Jessica Simpson's biography last year sometime. And even her, when she was talking about her music videos and the clothing that she had to wear, she didn't always feel comfortable with it, you know, or even Free Britney. I don't know if you two saw the documentary. Oh, absolutely. I I need to watch that. Yeah, it's really great. But, you know, it's funny because it's not funny, but, you know, even with her and her relationship with Justin Timberlake, they spoke about how 
when they broke up, you know, she was saying like, hey, like I'm not, you know, I'm not like sexually active. I'm, I'm this really great innocent girl who hasn't really done that much. And, and Justin Timberlake's team sort of used that position to be like, no, she cheated on him and, and look at her. And they such shamed her actually in her career yeah. to sort of elevate. Oh, absolutely. This. And he since has, you know, responded with an apology, even with Janet Jackson, right? Without that scandal. So it's so interesting how everything is sort of turned and twisted and, and different things and, and using your body, right? To, you're selling your music, you're selling your body to, to get fame. But at the same time, it's, I don't know, publicity, I suppose. It's sad. Yeah. Well, this has been an amazing episode. Yes, this has been. Thank you, Fran, for coming on. Thank yes. you so much, Fran, for reaching out and yeah, our first fan. Our first Yay! fan. <laughs> Thank you for having me. <laughs> well, good night, everybody. Thank you for good listening. Night. We'll be back soon. <laughs>